There's a lot of people who are trying things that they've never tried before. Sex. Why do you think people don't see it as work? I don't know. I think it's just too much stigma. What do you mean we can't just go tell people? The vast uh, complexity of human sexuality. The escort. Deconstructed. Dear listener, after listening to Eric Weinstein's podcast, The Portal, episode 29, Admission to Sugar Baby U, with Seeking Arrangements representative Kimberly, I felt the urge to write a response and found the eloquent Miss Natalie Lefebvre also had a lot to add on the topic. We have co-authored the following. At a glance, some sugar babies consider themselves to be sex workers and some don't. And the general public sometimes labels sugar babies as sex workers and sometimes they don't. It's really, really confusing. Over the past seven years, I have had numerous experiences with the Seeking Arrangements platform, creating accounts every six to 12 months or so out of interest in all things sex work pulse related. Of course, always utilizing the platform as a sugar baby and not as an escort, which as Kimberly explained, is when seeking an upgraded relationship based on honesty about expectations. The site came to my attention in 2013 when a new client hired me to go to lunch in Scotland. At lunch, the client disclosed they had been seeking an arrangement on the platform with no luck. So he decided to hire an independent escort he thought would suit the role and propose the idea. Naturally, the upgraded relationship we subsequently had could only be rightfully described as a sugar baby arrangement and definitely not as simply an escort with a new client wanting a monthly arrangement. Why did he seek an independent escort? I suppose there is still a misconception that escorts are people hired for one-time encounters and not individuals seen repeatedly or regularly. In my experience, clients often enjoy repeatedly and regularly seeing the same companion if they vibe well. Also, many escorts are open to having monthly arrangements with regulars they enjoy. I'm deeply concerned by the proposed notion that arrangements should not be viewed as a form of sex work. I'm also deeply disturbed by the manner in which sugar baby daddy culture has been co-opted by companies like Seeking Arrangements in an effort to further their corporate success at the expense of its vulnerable users and commercial sex workers. Further, I was deeply disappointed when I heard Eric Weinstein chose to label Seeking Arrangement as a company, quote, doing the ethical thing in my opinion, end quote. I have been inadvertently doing research on all of this for a long time, and this podcast episode acted as a great catalyst to bring light to the issue with promoting this form of arrangement culture. This piece is going to outline several main concerns. It will also offer an alternate concept to advocate for. The one Natalie and I believe is indeed the best path forward with this trend. Concern 1. The founder of Seeking Arrangement, Brandon Wade, has firmly stated his view that sugar babying is fundamentally acceptable and respectable directly at the expense of those in commercial sex work, specifically at the expense of the independent prostitute. In an effort to legitimize his business ventures and create an empire, he throws the sex work industry under the bus. If there is any doubt about whether or not the brand of arrangement culture promoted by Wade is not being validated at the expense of sex workers, I'd urge you to read his 2019 article, Pretty Woman the Musical, A Lesson for Sugar Babies, in which he details his view on the matter. Here's a snippet. Lesson one, be a sugar baby, not a prostitute. Reporters often ask me the question, what is the difference between a sugar baby and a prostitute? If there's one lesson to be learned from Pretty Woman, it would be the answer to that question. Vivian was a prostitute at the beginning of the movie, but became a sugar baby by the end. It wasn't because she had experienced the luxurious lifestyle of being the girlfriend of a billionaire that changed her. 
Rather, it was his kindness and desire to form a genuine connection with her when few would. She's initially abrasive and cynical because that's what the world taught her. The chance encounter with Edward, his money, and the luxury he was able to afford were all gateways to forming a genuine connection since she valued money greatly. But it was the genuine connection they had that changed her. After that, she could never go back to being a prostitute. She saw life from a new perspective and had transformed herself from a simpleton into a sugar baby. The difference between the two couldn't be clear. The contrast between the two could not be more black and white. The desire of wanting to form and keep a genuine relationship is the defining quality separating out sugar dating from prostitution. In this article, he puts forward the foundational idea that prostitution or escorting is an activity that, by definition, does not contain genuine connection. He labels Vivienne's time as a prostitute as her time as a simpleton. By contrast, her choice to become a wholesome sugar baby was a positive and admirable life choice. Conveniently, Wade omits that the script ends with them entering a conventional romantic relationship based on mutual attraction and admiration with no allowance or compensation to be spoken of. Granted, this is based on the musical rendition and not the Hollywood film. Nonetheless, he must have been watching a different script than me. Maybe the movie was trying to show that finding connection was what was important to both of them, something a transactional relationship basically cannot buy. The tricky part is inserting tangible gains into this relationship to begin with. The chances of both parties feeling a deep connection and equally valued is the tough part. Wade speaks on the qualitative difference between prostitution and sugar babying as being the unmistakable desire to establish a genuine, lasting connection. However, in Eric's conversation with Kimberly, a Sugar Baby University's representative, she shared the website's own statistics which show that these arrangements typically do not result in long-term relationships or marriage, nor do they typically operate as exclusive or monogamous to either party. Kimberly also stated the average age of a sugar baby as 24 and the average age of a sugar daddy as 42, nearly a 20-year age disparity on average. One statistic not shared by Kimberly, but is easily surmised given the popular married but looking category option on SA, is that a large percentage of users are men seeking secretive extramarital affairs. Their statistics also show that the majority of female users are engaging in these activities while in post-secondary education to secure financial aid and improve their socioeconomic standing, and not purely out of a desire to have a genuine connection, which adds another very important dimension. Mentorship is glorified as a main differentiating factor separating sugar babying from escorting. Kimberly states that sugar daddies often introduce their babies to their networks and give them business introductions and opportunities. Given the popularity of the married but looking category, how many of these sugar babies are truly being mentored and given these opportunities when discretion is fundamental to many of these arrangements, essentially keeping these women closeted? Mentorship does not involve being sexually intimate with a mentee. In fact, being sexually intimate with a mentee is unethical due to the inherent power dynamic in those relationships. Kimberly states that marriage is not the end goal of the platform and that often, once, quote, the sugar baby graduates college, they don't want to be a sugar baby anymore, end quote. To be fair, the romanticized version of Wade's idea of an ideal arrangement seems like a positive, mutually beneficial relationship. And Sienna and I get that. 
Our concern lies with the reality of our lived experiences and the stories we've heard over the years from users of the website. As someone that's used the platform, my experience as a user has been drastically different than what is marketed on their PR campaign. So this brings us to concern number two. Their PR campaign and advertisements expose inexperienced sugar babies to exploitation by older, wealthier sugar daddies instead of providing an accurate representation of what can transpire on the website. For us, this blurs the boundaries of consent. Not all sugar babies know what they're getting into when they agree to go on a date with a sugar daddy, and this can lead to very confusing and messy situations. Also, even if the company has taken new steps here or there over the past couple years, it wouldn't make up for the past lack of protection or inaction potentially dating back to 2006. As escorts, we understand why these women are using the platform, especially since straight-up prostitution is illegal. We don't want to remove this option for these women, but what we really want is to highlight how the current arrangement culture enables exploitation and further marginalizes and stigmatizes the sex industry. Kimberly says she views sugar babying as a real opportunity to make societal changes, whether it's just from the sugaring aspect and women's rights or this empowerment idea. And she isn't wrong in our view. Using one's desirability to their advantage in this capitalist society does offer amazing benefits. However, she also states sugar babying is adjacent to commercial sex work. It isn't sex work, but I do understand the comparison. And this is the answer to that. Instead of being a commercial sex worker, you can come and be a sugar baby and be in a relationship where you actually like somebody and are getting more benefits and it's not just transactional, end quote. So here, again, we have the promotion of sugar babying at the expense of sex work. In a roundabout way, this narrative is making it more difficult for sugar babies to negotiate arrangements with their sugar daddies in open, honest, and authentic ways. Because if they do this, they're going to be perceived as too transactional. This creates an environment where sugar babies need to be coy or just hope their sugar daddy will be generous and can create a situation where sugar babies are more easily exploited and more importantly, ripped off. Let's explore this idea in relation to escorting. When a client contacts an escort, he, she, or they must abide by the terms set out by the escort. For example, many independent escorts have websites where they discuss their rates and services, including what they do and don't offer. For example, some escorts offer bareback blowjobs and some only offer covered blowjobs. A client seeking the formal will likely not contact an escort only offering the latter and vice versa. Slowly but surely, the move towards being an independent sex worker began to take place. Instead of being listed in the newspapers, working on the streets, or working for an agency, suddenly, white and middle-class sex workers began to pick and choose their clients based on a variety of personal preferences and boundaries with advantages like determining one's own rate. As a side note, I think it's really important to specify white and middle class here because it's important to recognize how marginalization affects a person's ability to negotiate fees for services. For example, as a conventionally attractive upper-class white woman who is conventionally attractive, it's easy for me to be picky and build a brand for myself. 
This may not be the case for an Indigenous single mother or a BBW sex worker. I've noticed a trend. More and more conventionally attractive sex workers are asking for higher rates. This leaves non-normative escorts at a disadvantage in this industry. Slowly but surely, what once could be purchased for a low cost was much less readily available for men seeking companionship. So how to solve the issue of this unavailability of young, mostly white, desirable women charging too much and having too much power? Insert the creation of a new marketing scheme. After all, sugar babies are respectable women who know how to behave properly. By contrast, in the sugar baby dynamic, the sugar daddy has the upper hand and the sugar baby doesn't have much bargaining power. In fact, bargaining beyond the randomized standard rate as set by sugar daddies of $300 to $500 Canadian per meat in and of itself is frowned upon and seen as too transactional, aka if the baby thinks their time is worth more than that. The expression no professionals is often thrown around, further shaming any baby that has the audacity to have any kind of experience sleeping with a daddy before for money. The sugar baby has full control and agency over her choice to involve herself in this endeavor. However, she is doing so in a way that enables her to be exploited. Often, enforcing boundaries takes time to learn. I'm in my mid-20s and I'm still learning. Not unlike the Jeffrey Epstein situation we have all recently become reacquainted with, in which he preys on young, naive women, offers them $300 for massage, then pressures them into more in a private space. As the Me Too movement has illustrated, many women are often pressured into doing things they do not want to do, men are not taught to listen, and women are not taught to enforce their boundaries. Some men never learn, and for women, it's a lifelong journey. Promoting being a sugar baby through arrangement websites is problematic because these companies are fundamentally dishonest by claiming sex isn't expected by most users. I mean, how can a company claim to know what its users are expecting and asking of people? It's entirely true that exchanging finances for intimacy is still illegal in the United States. Cue calling yourself a sugar baby instead of an escort and pretend sex is not part of the male user's expectations on these platforms. The women are reassured it is not expected, and why would you not want to show your appreciation? The issue is, when the party seeking tangible benefits understandably ask how they will benefit, most times financially, and what is the point, advice doesn't pay the bills, are often told to trust the process and show their devotion to the well-off user's interest, often being assured that they'll be taken care of in the future, whatever that means. The potential for trauma and predatory abuse is visibly present. Platforms advocating power dynamics such as these inevitably create an enormous trail of traumatized, ambitious folk seeking to increase their socioeconomic standing through work. When traumatic experiences inevitably happen, given the now normative parameters, the vulnerable party typically blames themselves for putting themselves in that situation, but in reality were coaxed into believing they would benefit for their work within the boundaries as acceptable to them. And uh, as Kimberly said in the podcast, the terms are um, purposely vague so that people have to negotiate with one another. If this continues, the new generation of young professionals will be individuals gaslit and violated into oblivion with lower self-esteem due to these encounters founded on giving them no standing to seek justice for abuse. Sugar Baby University is a campaign made by a business seeking to increase profits. 
Eric gave them the title of the heroes in this mess higher learning institutions have created. And the thought makes me sick to my stomach. It doesn't make me sick to my stomach because of the negotiations that occur between sugar daddies and sugar babies, but because of the unaddressed foundational power imbalances skewed towards further rewarding the wealthy party within these relationships and the predatory behavior it enables. As you're aware, paying for sex is illegal in the United States, so alternative labels such as these are being created as a way around stigma, discrimination, and criminalization. Brandon Wade did not invent the sugar baby or sugar daddy, but has done his best to co-opt the terminology and create a cult-like narrative to gain a following in the hopes of growing an empire. His websites include, but aren't limited to, Seeking Arrangement, Miss Travel, What's Your Price, Seeking Millionaire, and Carrot Dating, which all aim to profit off of the sex work adjacent, as he calls it, industry. Eric asked Kimberly to talk a little about the founder and specifically asked if he personally gets along with the system that's making him rich, to which Kimberly replied, um, no, Brendan Wade is our CEO and founder and he's brilliant. He's an MIT grad and he started this site because he couldn't get a date. He was just this really kind of nerdy, smart guy and watched men around him use their looks and charms and muscles to get women and he understood that what he had to offer was his money and his brains and that there had to be some sort of market for that and some sort of appeal to some sort of woman that would be interested in him for that. So he created Seeking Arrangement. So he created Seeking Arrangements so he could more easily find people who are compatible, people who would be interested in him for those reasons, and that was how he could flex. He finds it, the state of our system of higher education, really troubling. He disagrees completely, and he'll be the first to say, like, why? Why is the education system this way? Why are the loans this way? Why are people struggling so much? He's got this kind of mind of his own when he comes to all these different kinds of political issues, but that is definitely one where he just can't wrap his head around, end quote. Okay, so this is where you can see that I've been on this for a long time. I've seen Wade's personal profile on the website, I believe, twice now. I took the opportunity to take screenshots of it in 2018. Look at how handy this came in. (laughs) The following is an excerpt from Wade's personal profile in 2018. So under the section entitled, What I'm Looking For, here's what it says. What I'm Looking For While I am open to various types of relationships or arrangements, my preference is to find a deep and genuine connection with girls who are looking for a long-term relationship. Ideally, you are slender, only because I am on the slender side too, are open-minded, secure, self-assured, and not the jealous type, are okay with that I am poly by nature, I have more than one girlfriend, are okay being monogamous, I do believe in fairness, but an alpha male doesn't like to share, especially if he's providing financially for his girlfriend. Understand that a successful alpha male needs to feel loved, appreciated, and to be in control are willing, for the right man, to let your walls down and not be afraid of feeling vulnerable. We'll do anything and stop at nothing to keep him happy emotionally and sexually. Believe in honesty and appreciates loyalty. Are accountable. Say what you mean and do what you say. Big plus. While I do not have children, I love kids. So if you're open to having kids in the future, that would be a big plus. Distance isn't a factor, as long as you are flexible and can travel. 
On the weekends, I usually have a few girls hanging out with me at my mansion. Hashtag SA Mansion. Hanging out with all of us one weekend may be a good option for a first meeting. Finally, if you have an issue with your family or friends finding out you are dating me, it's best you don't contact me. Anyone who dates or shows up at the SA Mansion will appear on my Instagram, Snapchat, or other forms of social media. That is non-negotiable. Hmm. So, I don't know about you, but I love the idea of abiding by a checklist in a relationship based on genuine connection. What if you... <laughs> Sorry. It's so good. Thank you. I'm like a sports moderator. Put me front and center, coach. What if you don't feel up to it one day? Then what? Enter the, we agreed to this and you said you'd do it. Leaving the girl who has yet to learn how to advocate for herself and enforce her boundaries, being pressured into doing something she doesn't want to do because she's financially dependent. Enter seeking sugar babies that are under 25 years old. Looking at his profile, I can really see his anguish over the state of the higher education system. These lucky sugar babies also get the bonus of acting as a sexually open, monogamous PR rep smiling ear to ear in his personal play mansion of sugar babies. What a humanitarian. Let's reiterate, there is nothing wrong with polyamory or sex work. I find the marketing campaign he has constructed and that Eric has now condoned to be a cause for concern. I don't doubt that he has personally helped a lot of people and been genuinely charitable, as wealthy people tend to do. I also believe his romanticized version of a good arrangement does sound like a mutually beneficial setup. I'm saying I do not agree with calling it prostitution adjacent and promoting it at the expense of people like me. Also, from my experience, the average user's experience differs greatly from what the marketing campaign advertises. I don't know that any benefits of platforms like these existing in their current form is worth the trail of trauma and abuse that they leave. I encourage anyone with doubts or curiosity to simply join for a week or so and decide for themselves. I don't want to remove this option for young women seeking to exchange their desirability for finances, but I cannot stand idle and watch something similar to a predator's playground be promoted by Eric as the answer to this huge institutional dumpster fire. I believe in you, Eric. Just change, change that tune just a little bit. And I'm sorry for picking on Eric. I'm not picking on him, but I, I've admired your podcast for a long time. They're all quality, and I was just really disappointed in how this conversation went. Advocating for these websites and their brand of sex work is, in essence, aiding these predators in their playground. This dynamic is driven by the demand of wealthy men seeking women from lower socioeconomic classes willing to negotiate an intimate relationship for compensation to avoid debt slavery. Seeking Arrangement is actively recruiting ladies with 4,000 or more Instagram followers to be influencers and ambassadors for Seeking Arrangement as the new socially acceptable way to work in the sex work adjacent industry. While I wholeheartedly agree that people should have decriminalized access to sex work, both as a provider and as a client, condoning this under his cult parameters is the kiss of death for independent escorts who are advocating for their right to work safely in these endeavors. It also results in anyone getting raped or anyone who is sexually assaulted on this site to have nowhere to legally turn, and they typically end up blaming themselves for incredibly traumatic experiences that had nothing to do with them. Is this really the way we want to start off the lives of our young people entering their professional lives? So let me share some of my lived experience with the site. Back in 2012, I had a duo with a regular client. My client, 
let's call him, let's call him Frank. That wasn't his real name, but let's just call him Frank for fun. He told me he'd been seeing a sugar baby and wanted to have a threesome with her. I told her I'd be happy to see them together, but I would need to speak to her on the telephone first. My goal was to assess whether we'd be compatible and whether this was something she was comfortable with. Because in my experience, women are often pressured into having threesomes by their male partners. When her and I spoke on the phone, she sounded shy and unsure of herself. While it wasn't the first time she had had sex with a woman, it was the first time in the context of a professional relationship, and she had never spoken to an escort before. I asked for her age, and she said she was 18. At the time, I was 24. I'm now 32. I told her I would need to see her ID when we met if she felt comfortable with that because I wanted to make sure she wasn't under the age of 18. The appointment itself went well, and I thought Claire was wonderfully warm, intelligent, and passionate, with a lot of potential. After our appointment with Frank, I invited her out for coffee, and I learned that she had been paid a fraction of what I had been paid for the exact same encounter. It made me furious. I met with her several times afterwards, and slowly yet surely, I convinced her to become an escort instead of pursuing relationships through seeking arrangements. Honestly, I felt that she could make so much more money in one-off encounters as in escorts instead of on seeking arrangements. For years, she was a successful escort. She eventually retired when she moved to San Francisco for a job in the tech sector. When there is power from a class angle, I know these foundations could lead to a lot of trauma and abuse. From personal experience, I can attest that there is nothing impeding a mutually beneficial experience when the two parties are on a mostly level playing field. I mean, under patriarchy, we'll never be totally equal with men, but we can try really hard. The dynamic where the wealthy, typically male party has most control results in very questionable experiences that typically leads to trauma and abuse. For example, on the Toronto Escort Review Board, otherwise known as TURB, men who see escorts started a thread to discuss how to best exploit sugar babies. Hundreds of men participated in this vile fucking thread. Am I allowed to say fuck? Okay. They talked about how it's best to wait until the end of the month before contacting sugar babies because that's when they're most desperate for cash and more willing to provide unsafe services such as bareback sex. After many escorts complained that this thread perpetuated rape culture, Turb shut it down and purportedly banned all talk of arrangement culture on the platform. But we know that isn't the case. And here are some links. And here are some links that demonstrate that. <laughs> links have been attached to the online version of this article. If you want to look back at sections of it and not listen to the entire thing, it has also been posted on my website. And that is where you can find uh, eight different links I found to different review boards talking about this and specifically about using the Seeking Arrangement platform. Furthermore, on Turb, they also talk about which escorts advertise their services both on seeking arrangements and through various escort platforms and they show which like how their rates differ based on which platform they advertise on and therefore how to get the cheapest rate for the exact same person what happens when women are raped and feel they cannot report the abuse 
say the sugar daddy promised 2k or rent or whatever for the month and he promises to give it at the end of the month after all she isn't a professional she isn't degrading herself by being an escort she doesn't need it up front like an escort or prostitute does the end of the month comes and the sugar baby has abided by the terms of the sugar daddy and been sexually intimate as is expected in 9 out of 10 cases, on several occasions. At the end of the month, he says he doesn't feel they are a good fit and tells her, good luck. She has no contract, no nothing. The young woman blames herself. She tries to kill herself. Now what? Can't we see that there is a problem with this model, Um, especially how it relates to young people uplifting and upholding some kind of rights in these arrangements that are by definition as stated by their rep vague on purpose personally i've been raped twice by users of seeking arrangements i have been raped zero times in my civilian life or with clients while escorting boundary pushing yes but the rape has been limited to the kind of person that is using the platform to bypass any kind of identity verification and get the best deal out of young naive women I felt I had no ground to stand on, given the explicitly vague nature of the arrangement culture narrative and given the stigma associated with all forms of sex work, including being a sugar baby. Perpetrators of violence use websites like Seeking Arrangements because they know sugar babies will be reluctant to contact the police in the event of an assault. It's a weird gray area of, I felt like even if it was in my civvy life, I'd have a better leg to stand on. Or even if I was escorting, I could say this client raped me. He, this is, and even then I'd have more, but the whole gray area of like, it's an arrangement. Well, this is explicitly vague. Like, what do you think was going to happen? Was it rape? What, what did you come here to meet them for? So how, how could it be rape, you know? And being an escort, I think, for four or five years before this happened. So I wasn't unfamiliar. This is the big lie behind the arrangement culture thing. The sex and intimacy are not expected. Well, let's get real here. Of course it is, with a rare exception. What would people be paying you for? Nothing is for free. That is something you learn with age, though. I think a lot of young people, especially in our age of entitlement, think that they can just get something for nothing. Trust me, it will not be for nothing. Proponents of arrangement culture want to make it seem as though terms could be anything, and strict boundaries are negotiated and enforced by both parties. The reality is many of the users have banded together to create what they deem to be acceptable standards and decidedly find a woman's time to be typically worth, as I said, between 300 and 500 per night. The duration is unknown at times, and overnights are often expected. If a woman states her discomfort with the notion or lack of understanding where these numbers come from, and how is she expected to be assessed like that by strangers seeking to bed her, she is told that is the standard going rate, and she will be brandished a narcissistic gold digger that needs to take a good long look at herself in the mirror. If she could ever fathom, she'd be worth a penny more. And this may be the best part of the podcast. Here are some amazing people that wanted to share their experience of using arrangement platforms. Hello, my name is Mia Wolf. I am now a companion based in Montreal. Uh, and I'm just going to tell you a little bit about my experience with seeking arrangement. So I joined when I was in college. I had just moved to a smaller city from a very large metropolitan city to pursue a different program. And I didn't plan for it as well as I could have financially. So my bills were a little higher than I was expecting and um, the income that I had from my one job wasn't 
covering them as much as I thought it would. So I basically had to choose between getting a second job and finding an alternative. And so I chose an alternative and that was seeking arrangements. Um, I went into it thinking that it was going to be a mutually beneficial relationship for me and the daddy, I guess. Um, I thought I would be compensated, I would be able to have this relationship on my own terms, uh, that, and I, I would get, like, mentored, I would get, like, the finer things in life, like, you know, all the things the marketing says. Um, they, they definitely let you know that if you're good enough, you can be very successful, which I think does put a little bit of pressure on you as well. Um, so when I signed up, I used my university email, which they encourage you to do, and I I let people know that I was new to the industry because they had some marketing at the time stating that uh, if you were professional or you had been doing this for a while, people would not be interested. So I definitely was very clear in stating the fact I am a student, I haven't done this before, I'm very young, I'm new to all of this, which uh, thinking back was definitely a mistake and it probably put a huge red banner on my profile saying, um, you know, this girl is young and inexperienced, take advantage of her. But that's what I thought you did, so <laughs> that's what I did. Um, my experience in that city was nothing to write home about. Um, it was pretty mundane. I met with a few people, or gentlemen, for um, what they called introduction dates to see if we would get along. They would never compensate you for those, and they treated it like a job interview where you had to prove to them that you were worthy of, like, their compensation. Um, and it was very centered around, like, you proving yourself to them, not kind of a mutual interview kind of thing to actually assess chemistry. Um, so yeah, I did a couple of those and they didn't really go anywhere because either the guy was not willing to compensate me to the level that I wanted, or he was, but wanted way, way, way too much. So in that city, it didn't really go anywhere. I just stopped doing it and then I moved to Montreal. And I, again, had been on a break from doing it for about probably a year before I posted another ad. And I posted another, I guess, profile uh, because some girls that I actually worked with at my professional job mentioned having sugar daddies that paid their rent, paid for everything, and I was like, oh, okay, I should get back into this. Um, little did I know that that was actually clients that they had met escorting and then moved into an exclusive relationship with. Um, but yeah. So I did start again in Montreal. I put up a new profile and I I did meet somebody and we had a non-intimate relationship. Um, I would basically go out with him and his friends that were higher profile people. We would go clubbing, we would go to strip clubs and he, he would compensate me for my time. Um, 
but the way he would compensate me was very much like, here is some compensation, but please use it for this thing that will benefit me, like long acrylic nails or like five inch stilettos. Like I, I worked in an office. I, I didn't like need those things. I needed my bills paid. So the relationship was very centered around the, the man. I found most of the time, uh, there was definitely a dynamic that they were the focus of the relationship and you were the subservient one. Um, that's at least how I felt in most of uh, the arrangements that I had. But yeah, I did end up cutting off every really er, arrangement, I suppose they're called. Um, that I did have, I was never quote-unquote broken up with, um, but yeah, no, I, I usually just had to end them because the, the guy wanted far too much and wouldn't compensate me enough, like, the one in Montreal had to end because he was not compensating me for, uh, like, any time that we didn't spend together, but expected me to text him all the time, like respond within two minutes, even though I had an office job. So that was not ideal for me. And I, again, the dynamics in the relationship just weren't for me. Like I have had, I suppose what you could call sugar daddies since I started escorting. And um, that's been completely different. Like the power dynamic has always been, I have, like, yes, it's about their pleasure, but I have the upper hand at all times. And uh, that is definitely something that I appreciate about this facet of sex work and escorting is uh, that I, I feel like I very much have the upper hand and I feel like I can ask to be compensated the way that I want to be compensated because if you do that on seeking arrangement, your account will be shut down. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, again, the seeking arrangement, uh, like, terms of service that don't allow you to say how much you want to be, like, compensated for meetings or stuff like that, it makes it very hard for the baby to um, advocate for themselves and actually set that stuff before a meeting. So, yeah, I no longer use the, the website. I don't recommend that anybody who's interested in getting involved in sex work uses that site or pursues sugaring because I think the people that the, the men that use those sites are generally predatory um, and on it if you want to be fairly compensated for your time just be an escort like yeah. Okay. Um, Coolio. My name is Rosa Lacour. I live in Montreal and I'm 25 years old. I originally joined Seeking Arrangement because I was attracted to older men and the idea of being financially compensated for going on dates was like a dream come true. I was already seeing older men from dating websites, so it only made sense for me to add some money on top. Coming from a financially struggling family, I saw this as a way to survive and have the luxury to focus on my studies without having to work full-time. It was a win-win. 
The idea that I also didn't have to be intimate if I didn't feel a genuine attraction to potential daddies was reassuring. I expected the website to be kind of like a dating website. The whole site to me is built as a dating website, except with babies adding their expected monthly financial compensation and daddies adding their net worth. Joining was easy and I started answering a ton of messages from potential suitors. I expected to go on a nice date, get to know each other and have a little bit of money at the end of dinner. Should I feel like it, then maybe I would be intimate with them just like a real-life date. It didn't take me long to realize that it was a romanticized version of what was actually going on during the meeting. Seeking arrangement was my introduction to the world of sex work. I was 18, quite sexually promiscuous, and loved older men. A friend of mine knew someone who was on the site, and when I talked to her about my preferences, she suggested that I join. The way she talked about the website was that I would be financially compensated to go on dates with wealthy men and that intimacy wasn't mandatory unless I felt like it. Easy, right? I joined the very next day, used my real name, my real pictures, and I showed my face. The inquiries came flooding in and I was so excited about the whole concept of it. The first thing I noticed Uh, were that most men were married and that money wasn't to be discussed unless we verified we had a true connection. Fair enough. I went on a few coffee dates and a few dinner dates. Being so young, I truly had nothing to bring to the table other than my attractiveness and I found most men didn't really want to get to know me. I also was never compensated for those dates as again they were to test our connection. So I would take the bus from my parents' place, then the metro, and spend hours with the men I didn't know for free. The only time I was actually compensated was when this man asked me to come to his hotel, which was all the way next to the airport. I had no driver's license and nobody knew I was going there. I used public transit, made my way to the hotel to meet a complete stranger. I was so nervous as we went up to his room. We had sex right away and he paid me $500. That's when I realized that if I wanted to get paid, I had to be intimate with the man I met. Happy with my money, I left on the trip abroad and deleted my profile. When I came back from the trip, I had no money and no job. I thought I would give seeking arrangement another chance. I rejoined, this time well aware that in order to be compensated, sex was expected. Fair enough. Lucky for me, the intimacy part wasn't difficult at all. I landed my first sugar daddy shortly after that. His name was Mark. Our arrangement was $500 per week and I was to meet him once in that week. But he also said I would be compensated even when he couldn't meet. Because he took care of his baby. Easy again, right? He forgot to mention the part where he wanted unprotected sex, so the first time we were intimate, I wasn't really given a choice about protection. He said that since I was his only baby and that I had no other sugar daddy, we didn't need condoms. We were like boyfriend and girlfriend. I needed the money and what he said made sense, I guess. So I agreed. And then he started canceling on me and wasn't giving, giving me the money, even though it was part of our original agreements. I dumped him. I later found out 
through another friend who was on this site as well, uh, that he had <laughs> unprotected sex with her as well. And so I can only imagine how many people he was having bareback sex with. Uh, I met my second daddy shortly after. Let's call him John. John wanted to see me every week at the same time on Friday at Hotel Bonaventure. On our first meeting, he said that he expected unprotected sex because I was his only baby outside of his wife, but that doesn't count, right? Uh, and that he was my only daddy. He also expected anal whenever he pleased, and that is something I had never done before. He offered $500 for a two-hour date. I could manage, I thought. Most of the time, the sex was quite painful, and I dreaded the Friday afternoon. I would cancel on him often, as I had too much anxiety at the thought of meeting him. But I would go back for the money. Um, I ended up dumping him as well. My third and last sugar daddy was a good one. He is still a client to this day. He was a dom, and I was in was seeking a sub. Having never had that kind of dynamic before, I was curious. I agreed to the meeting. Our first date went in this beautiful hotel room in the old port. We had sex right away, protected this time. He ordered us vegan food and took care of me. We were to meet every week for however long he desired and I was to be paid $500. Of course, he too was married. I grew quite fond of him and we saw each other for months until he had to stop seeing me. He was also my first and last positive experience on this site. We still see each other uh, every few months. Outside of those three daddies, I had a few one-time encounters. What annoyed me the most is that even though they always wanted pay for play, they would beat around the bush when came time to discuss what they expected and how much they were willing to pay. So much so that I grew tired and decided I would say, I want $200 an hour. Most would refuse as they wanted something genuine, which was simply a code for, I want to have sex with you for free and then decide if we have a connection. Of course, I would also be the ones to ghost you and leave you feeling like a fool for having free sex. A few agreed and I felt in control for the first time since I joined the site. You see, it wasn't the intimacy that bothered me, rather the fact that I had no say whatsoever in what I should be getting in terms of compensation. It was power imbalance at its finest. I was to be thankful for whatever amount they would be willing to offer me. The switch from sugar baby to escort was like a revelation to me. It was a potential daddy who actually suggested it to me. We were having our initial chat, and when the question of financial compensation came around, um, I said, I want $200 an hour. And he said, well, you're basically being an escort. I remember the feeling of shame and frustration I felt when he called me an escort. In my head, an escort was a woman who would just stay in a hotel room all day and had sex with a bunch of men with whom she shared no lasting relationship. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, but that's what I thought. Uh, so rinse and repeat. That's how seeking arrangement and society perceives the escort slash prostitute. And I was on seeking arrangements because I wanted real relationships with financial compensation, not just pay for play. He assured me that being an escort was exactly the same thing as being a sugar baby. Skeptical, I agreed to meet him for coffee.
in person. He told me his ex-girlfriend was a popular escort here in Montreal and that if I wanted, he could introduce me to her. I agreed and that's how I finally made the transition and I would never go back. You see, being a sex worker can be about simple pay for play if that's how you choose it to be. But what they don't tell you is that you can choose your clients. Of course, I know I have the privilege of being conventionally attractive, thin, and white, so I can only speak in my experience. But I shaped my branding in a way to attract men who, see, who seek deeper, meaningful connections. Now I get compensated how I choose and keep clients I genuinely love and care for. I no longer feel exploited or forced to bend to the client's desire and requests. I have access to block lists and safe condos to host from. I have escort friends with whom I can talk about my experiences and ask questions in case of doubt. But the best in all of this is that I no longer feel isolated. I'm reading this on behalf of Faith Monique. I was on seeking arrangement for about six months prior to joining what I was aware was sex work. In that time, I met a small selection of people around five to seven, as I was looking for secondary income. I did my research before joining and only actively saw positive experiences spoken about online. I feel it's important to mention that I was only 18, and that was something I now know made men prey on me, as everyone who contacted me asked me how old I was or noted in their profiles that they only saw women of 18 to 25 years of age. My start to sex work was through seeking arrangement, as I had multiple organizations solicit me through the site to come and work for them, which I eventually did, thinking I would be more protected. Only one of the men I met on seeking arrangement was even close to respectful to me. Our arrangement lasted around three months. Not being able to verify or identify these men, in my experience, made them feel invincible or like, even if they did harm to me, they weren't able to be held accountable. I was fortunate to have a friend who was willing to generally go on meets with me and make sure I was safe, as I don't know what would have happened if I didn't. Throughout all meetings, there were things these men all had in common. A lack of respect for boundaries, and always not wanting a professional, being two of them. They were looking for those they could prey on. On multiple occasions, it was demanded I offer unprotected services over chat on the site and in person in order to receive the compensation we had previously agreed on. Thankfully, I was able to walk away from these men and block their accounts. These accounts were reported, but not removed. Many people requested to test me out before being compensated for my time, and many once meeting tried to find my legal name or home address. My last meeting off-site, the man I was meeting tried to force me into his car, assuming he'd wish to kidnap and harm me. Thankfully, my friend was waiting and saw and ran to help. When I reported his account for this, nothing happened, and his account was not taken down either. All in all, if sugaring is of interest, I strongly do not recommend this site. There is no protection or care for sugar babies, only for the profits paid accounts bring in. Freelancing or organically meeting 
in my opinion, will always be better and safer than this site, which allows these predators to stay actively abusing sugar babies. Thank you. Melissa Carter wrote this on a review board in response to a thread about sugar dating last year, and she has given me permission to read it aloud on her behalf. Melissa writes, There is also a scam fake sugar daddies do, also known as salt daddies. When I was 19 back in college, I tried sugar dating on SA before I became a companion a year and a half later. These salt daddies intentionally look for girls that have no experience and have little insight into how sugar dating dynamics work. He said the main reason he was looking for a sugar baby was because he's lonely and wanted intimacy, but how will he know I can give him what he wants if he doesn't try me out first? He promised that after the first meet, he would pay me $1,000 a week. Me being dumb and naive felt like this made sense, and this is how sugar dating works. So our first date, I came over, we were intimate, we had a great time. He was all smiles when I was leaving and said he will definitely be calling me tomorrow. The next day he said he was sorry and he did not feel a connection. I never saw or heard from him again. So that was it. He got what he wanted and I got duped. I felt so foolish. I felt like the world's biggest loser. I know I was dumb, you live and you learn, but I definitely never let that happen again. After that, anytime a guy asked that he could try me out first before we started to date or before he pays, I ran the other way. If he says, I want sex this many times for a week for X amount of money, then he's a salt daddy and not looking for real chemistry and just wants a cheap long-term escort who isn't really an escort. For about a month, after my experience, I started preying on men that take advantage of young girls in need so they could get what they deserve, a taste of their own medicine. It's disgusting how these guys prey on girls who are inexperienced and really need help. I felt like a superhero for taking these bad guys down one at a time, but at the end of the day, I was no better than them by turning myself into the bad guy too. So I stopped the whole sugar dating thing, finished college, then over a year later, I entered the adult industry, which is a completely different story for another time. Now that I'm older and wiser, this was six years ago now, I still do sugar dating in the form of monthly arrangements, but 90% of these guys know I'm a professional and don't mind because they were clients to begin with, but wanted something more steady with me. The other 10% didn't know that I'm a professional for the same reason some of you gentlemen don't tell your wives you see escorts. It's just best if they don't know. My past sugar daddies have been more valuable to me than the money they provided and I'm forever grateful because of them, I became an expert at GFE to the point where it just feels natural. I became an expert at making people feel good about me and most importantly, feel good about themselves. I love that. Moral of the story here is that everyone should be aware when it comes to sugar dating online, both guys and girls. There are sick people out there who care only about themselves. Some guys will try to get free or cheap sex. And then on the flip side, there are women who try to get free money without actually being a real sugar baby. Sad, but it's all true. And these salty people ruin it for people who want real sugar. I hope this opens some people's eyes to what goes on behind the scenes sometimes. Please, everyone, be safe out there and happy sugaring. Don't get scammed. Always be aware. I'm reading this on behalf of Eloise. 
Hi, my name is Eloise. I am 32, and I'm a provider that is based out of Portland, Oregon. And prior to providing, I spent time on seeking arrangements. Prior to seeking arrangements, I spent time in the sex work community as a hair and makeup artist. A bulk of my work was in advertising, but I had met a female photographer in a fashion shoot who moved up here from LA who wanted to start a career over as a sex work-friendly boudoir photographer. She got successful quickly, and we were touring in a different city every week working with sex workers. Over the course of six years, I had probably 200 to 300 very successful high-end companions and dominatrix in my chair. I start my story here because while I was not officially a companion at that time, I felt very much a part of the community and felt like I had a deep understanding of the potential for long-term intimacy inside a for-hire companion relationship, as opposed to the one-and-done model that is proposed to you through the media most of the time. Having spent six years mostly around companions, I was able to destigmatize the occupation around many areas, but one being that any relationship with a companion should serve as transactional, fake, soul-sucking, hard. That soon got transformed into life-giving, pleasant, mutually beneficial, genuine, generous, natural, while still maintaining the boundaries set out at the beginning by both parties, which in effect would make it also very honest and transparent. When that styling job ran its course, my next move was to become a companion myself. It seemed like the most logical and exciting next step, and one I was more than fully equipped to do given my six-year experience. Before that happened, that summer, a friend of mine introduced me to Seeking Arrangements. While I had been excited to become a companion, Seeking Arrangements seemed to offer even more specifically what had excited me about being a companion long-term friendship and support. This gray area between relationship and one-night stand, a space to support a man in his unique needs, brackets, often being married or at the very least busy and emotionally unavailable, close brackets, offering a portal into the different lifestyle, typically one of youth and spontaneity and excitement, therefore reminding themselves of their youth, which perhaps had been lost at the time. And in return, you got supported in your needs of financial security, companionship, life experience, and support. In effect, both parties had something beautiful and in demand to offer the other. And from inside that understanding and transparency, a real friendship could blossom. I moved forward with seeking arrangements, thinking that this would be better than being companion, seeing as how I already had a civilian career that was thriving. Even though I had been working around career sex workers for six years and looked up to their business model and lifestyles, I thought removing the, quote, price list and hard boundaries would be beneficial in what I was trying to achieve. I could not have been more wrong. I spent over five years off and on seeking arrangements. I met many profiles. I easily met with 50 to 100 men and probably emailed with 200 of course, a majority of the men I met with were just coffee dates, bracket for free. I did embark on quite a few, quote, arrangements. While I'm sure this varies depending on the region, for Portland, it became very clear some common themes were popping out. The most common being that these men did not want a, quote, professional Many men had their canned opening emails they would send out and they would all include that they were looking for, quote, one girl for a, quote, mutually beneficial relationship and that their last relationships had lasted, quote, years. 
that they were nice, respectful men looking for a nice, respectful girl. As long as they felt as if they were helping out someone in need, they felt okay in that scenario. The first sign of the woman thriving from the relationship, or heaven forbid, multiple relationships, then you were questioned, lectured, or dropped. Or financial support was minimized or taken from you in an effort to prove that you had natural feelings for that man outside of the monetary support. Despite these men having wives or limited time to spend with you, the second common scenario would be using that same canned message, one girl, long-term, respect, taking you to coffee and spewing the same agenda, and then asking if you could go right into the physical side of things directly after coffee. After having a nice time and getting physical, they would stay and chat, pay you, and agree to see you in a week or two. Sometimes they would, sometimes they would not. Some never to be seen again, despite having a nice time. It became very clear that a lot of these men were using seeking arrangements, much like an escort site, and they did value variety, but they would not allow for you or themselves to state this out loud or take pride in this. It's through these experiences that I realized that seeking arrangements is set up to take care of men's feelings around the ideas of sex companionship for money. Even the best of arrangements, which I also have had, would eventually result in boundaries completely getting dropped as natural feelings caught momentum. And if it was the woman to try and reinstate them, then there was shame felt because she was supposed to be a genuine friend. At a certain point, the man has to know he's wanted there for more than his money. But never at any point is there any expectation for the woman to be there without giving sex or emotional companionship. A complete double standard through the entire relationship that begins with the first email of not wanting a, quote, professional. Somehow, I felt guilty the whole time, even through my most amazing arrangements, even though I had the most honest intentions from the start. I did want to explore the possibilities of companionship and friendship throughout these relationships with limiting parameters, genuinely. I just wanted my match to also show up with the predetermined level of support he promised, and I did not want to get tested. What I found was that I was showing increasingly more and more support to these men, especially as they began to question while feeling an increased amount of guilt for expecting any kind of payment at all. There was shame built in from the beginning. While it was never expected to shame them for needing sex or emotional support, I never held that back once. This idea that a, quote, good person would give their time and emotional resources without exchanging money, although it was this kind of money and gifts that lent themselves the confidence to reach out in the first place. The money and gifts and life experiences used to their advantage in the beginning, but then questioned as feelings got put in place. They only feel comfortable with the money being used in reflection of their generosity, therefore building up their character even more. But never as the idea that it was due to that a woman could put a value on her time, body, and care. This then leads to the dynamic of having two opposing forces on seeking arrangements, all built on resentment, both parties trying to do the absolute least to get the absolute most. It is a very hard current to buck, and seeking arrangement is not built on foundation that builds women up or sees them as equal. Only in your response time to neediness are you celebrated. I am still friends with a gentleman that I saw for the whole five years I was on seeking arrangements. 
It was a long relationship that ventured into many different areas of us being friends, out in the world, and lovers behind closed doors. So it is reasonable that boundaries got blurred. I understand this and almost welcome it as a reasonable human being. But as I reflect back during this relationship, I see that most of the time I was struggling to pay rent. I saw him endless times during the month as our schedules allowed, very fluid, in which no schedule was set up and occasional gifts were bought, but the allowance usually got forfeit after the first few months of restarting multiple times, due to it always making him feel uneasy. Three times over the course of these years, he came to me saying, quote, his therapist did not think it was a good idea for him to be participating in paid relationships, end quote brackets, which was a lie. Yet because we had so much time and history behind us, it was, I felt bad for ever thinking about leaving the friendship. As a side note, I now have zero issues surrounding these themes and boundaries. So when I say we are still friends, I mean just friends. And I see him perhaps like twice a year. What I considered my most successful arrangement was with a married doctor that would visit my house every Monday morning with an optional spontaneous, quote, add-on during the week if schedules allowed. He always paid monthly, and I never felt the need to talk about money with him, even if I saw him more than the usual that month because we had a natural chemistry and I could tell he really respected the financial parameters. It felt like a breath of fresh air to never have to even think about having to have the money talk. This lasted about six months, and then he ghosted me. I never saw it coming, as our sex just kept getting better and better, and we always enjoyed each other. A month later, he texted me an extremely apologetic text, explaining some personal problems, and even slipped a month's worth of allowance through my door, stating that he knew I counted on him and he was deeply sorry that he didn't warn me. While I consider the above a success and feel he came back around positively, what has always stood out to me in this was the response I got from friends when I told them my disappointment. Well, isn't that just part of the job, the arrangement? Haven't you grown to expect that? It was at this time I decided to never go back to seeking arrangements and I became a provider and have thrived ever since. I felt that it wasn't part of my job on Secure Arrangement because I had been going out of my way exhausting myself for these men trying to create the most stable, genuine friendship. And it was them that dropped me like it was a job. So I decided to make it a job. I felt like I would have less sadness and resentment if the boundaries were laid out clearly. And if someone wanted to drop me because it was a job, well, yeah, it was my job. The irony in all of this is the quality of experience quality of men and quality of respect has quadrupled since becoming a provider. The sparkly gray area between relationship and one night stand I was hoping to explore on seeking arrangement comes to me tenfold while being a provider. Having a quote price list and etiquette draws a man that is attracted to a thriving entrepreneurial woman and you attract a man that has already made up his mind about what sex or companionship for money is and has no qualms about it. Whereas seeking arrangement is drawing in a man that has an interesting curiosity but feels uncomfortable around parts of it, so is now trying to get his needs met in a, quote, glossier way that builds up the man but holds down the woman. There's a lot of talk about sex workers' rights. 
As a society, we have an obligation to support sex workers' rights, which includes the full decriminalization of sex workers, clients, and third parties. Once sex work is decriminalized, sex workers will be better able to advocate for their labor rights and fight the human rights abuses that happen within our industry. The argument to support sex workers' rights has nothing to do with whether we agree that sex work is a legitimate form of work or a job we would encourage our adult children to engage in. It's like abortion. As a society, we must recognize that regardless of how we feel about sex work or abortion, women are going to do it anyway. Therefore, we have a responsibility to make sure they can do it safely, and we have a duty to destigmatize it. Therefore, we have a responsibility to make sure they can do it safely, and we have a duty to destigmatize it. Seeking Arrangements operates in the United States, where sex work is blatantly criminalized. Not only is sex work criminalized, but online communication about sex work is also criminalized under SESTA and FOSTA, which is the Fight Online Sex Trafficking Act and the Stop Enabling Sex Traffickers Act. These laws are intended to prevent human trafficking, but all they do is push human trafficking further into the shadows while simultaneously marginalizing consensual sex work. Did you know that the Global Alliance to End Trafficking in Women, GATW, supports the full decriminalization of sex work in order to protect victims of human trafficking? There are an alliance of over a hundred non-governmental organizations in the world. They urge all United Nations member states to consider the potential of decriminalizing sex work and practices around it as a strategy to reduce the opportunities for exploitative labor practices in the sex sector. Laws such as SESTA and FOSTA and any law that criminalizes any aspect of sex work makes it more difficult. Let me repeat, it makes it more difficult for sex workers to advertise their services, negotiate fees for services online, own and operate their own advertising platforms, and it also makes it more difficult for sex workers to use third-party platforms. The moment there's a hint that someone is exchanging money for sexual services, sex workers are banned from using these online platforms. More importantly, though, these laws make it really fucking hard for sex workers and clients to report abuse, including exploitation and human trafficking when it's present. Sex workers are the experts of this industry, and we will be the first people to report abuse and exploitation if it's present. All of these things put together undermine the ability of sugar babies to empower themselves. And it also allows websites like Seeking Arrangements to operate in a gray zone of quasi-legal, quasi-criminal activity. Seeking Arrangements states that they are committed to fighting human trafficking and they will, quote, block and report to law enforcement any individuals they deem are in violation of anti-trafficking laws. This is exactly what they threatened me with when I joined Seeking Arrangements. I mean, truthfully, I was kind of naive. I didn't realize that you weren't allowed to use Seeking Arrangements if you were an escort. In fact, Sienna recently informed me that it was only three or four years ago or something like that, that Seeking Arrangements added at the very bottom of their website that you are not allowed to use this platform if you are an escort. So anyway, fast forward to the present. 
I joined Seeking Arrangements using all of my photos from my website and being very upfront with people in my messaging that I was an escort and even providing people with the link to my website. Suffice it to say, I was banned very quickly. In fact, I think I was banned within maybe three or four days that I was on the platform. Anyway, right before I got banned, I used my personal PayPal account to purchase boosters on Seeking Arrangements, which would boost my profile on the website. I asked for a refund through PayPal because, I mean, they banned me and I didn't get to access the services that I paid for. And instead of providing me with a refund, Seeking Arrangements threatened to report me to IC3, which is the Internet Crime Complaint Center operated by the fucking FBI. I couldn't believe it. They aren't interested in genuinely fighting human trafficking. They just don't want empowered sex workers on their fucking website. The notice was given to Natalie by W8 Tech Limited. An article published in the Asia Times in 2018 said, quote, Describing itself as an online dating service, a website called Seeking Arrangement has been accused of sexualizing and exploiting women on Chinese social media. In a recent article, Global Times urged Beijing to take immediate action against SeekingArrangement.com, which recently launched its dating app and Chinese website. Global Times criticized the website's advertising campaign that it said promotes large-scale part-time girlfriends or kept women and urged China to reject the foreign-owned enterprise. The website registered its business in the Shanghai Free Trade Zone. According to a local media report, Seeking Arrangement registered a local company under the name Wei Kim Long and Wei Ting. The same last name as founder Brandon Wade, a Singaporean-American whose name is Wei Lead whose original name is Wei Lead. The parent company of the Shanghai setup was W8 Tech, a company registered in Hong Kong since 2012 and responsible for the app design for Seeking Arrangement. Found in 2006, Seeking Arrangement is part of the brainchild of MIT graduate Brandon Wade, who also created Seeking Millionaire, Miss Travel, What's Your Price, and Carrot Dating. That's just a little background info in case you guys want to look at who sent that and who owns it and what else they own. Sugar babying does not have to be exploitative. It can exist as a form of sex work in its own right as a good option for two parties. For the record, I think sugar babying as a concept was doing just fine on its own before being co-opted and rebranded on websites like Seeking Arrangements, a platform largely invested in disseminating their cult-like belief about the blisses of sugar babying all while condemning the sex work industry. The danger of taking on and spreading this marketing angle is it omits the negative experiences and high opportunity for trauma and abuse. That is a problem. By condoning this version of sex work and not calling it real sex work, where intimacy is expected, you're aiding predators at the expense of young people. I understand there is no incentive to redistribute power to the typically younger female in this dynamic as their typically older male counterparts feel they have worked hard in society and deserve to be worshipped. And, you know, I don't disagree that they deserve rewards for their commitments and hard work, but I doubt they themselves would enter into an arrangement that didn't guarantee labor rights or compensation for their time, or at a bare minimum, their personal safety. So why do they expect it of sugar babies? Is there truly a harm in allowing a level of redistribution of power to the sugar baby sex worker that allows them to have some form of ground to stand on if in an intimate situation something goes south or doesn't hold up at their end of the verbal contract? 
Brandon Wade is the founder and CEO of Secure Arrangements. So as a CEO, he should be held criminally responsible for what happens on Seeking Arrangements. And if it can be proven that he was aware criminal activity was taking place on his website. I don't mean sending escorts threats for using the platform, but more along the lines of visible consequences or attempts at consequences for reported abuses and other harmful activity by male users as well. I have reported several accounts over the years, never got an email back from customer service, and their account has always remained active. However, Natalie got banned within a few days. Huh? No corporation or insurance company can protect Wade from facing civil or criminal penalties in the event of him being aware of what is at times transpiring throughout his platforms. In fact, he is actively recruiting young women, as I mentioned, on Instagram. It's disgusting given the vast plethora of experiences that differ from the mission statement and the marketing campaigns. So back on the topic of mentorship. The information is equivalent to cash, she says, the rep. No, I strong hard disagree. Wasn't there a study done that once people aren't worried about having to pay all their bills immediately anymore and they are free to expend mental energy elsewhere, they make better progress in their lives? How are these women supposed to be making better progress if they immediately need to avoid financial ruin? How will this information be equal to cash in the specific situation that leads people to use websites like this? Do you really think it's being valued as such by the majority of users? These guys don't want to be working while they're trying to relax. Eric said that generally it's a bad idea to give destitute people cash as it ensures it won't be spent on drugs or frivolous items. Instead, giving a gift card for textbooks or paying for someone's rent directly is safer. Isn't it obvious that operating like this creates a severe level of codependence by having another person dictate where you spend your money and what you have to do in exchange for it? I feel that as adults, these women should be free to spend their finances as they please. And if they don't use it appropriately to sustain themselves, pick a different sugar baby. I'd like to conclude by reiterating that the sugar daddy baby culture that existed before it was co-opted by these brands worked out really well for a lot of people. Not all arrangements are bad. Just be very wary of the users on this platform is what I'm saying, what we are saying. Most sugar daddies on these platform are seeking the most naive, cheap babies to sleep with them at a bargain price and rely on them not knowing any better. Mm-hmm. Also, I've heard a lot from sugar daddies that have logged onto this these platforms and tried to find babies only to find the platforms were nothing like what they thought it was either. I don't think it's only the babies finding that these platforms are not what the marketing campaign suggests and not what they're actually seeking. So have you had a good or bad experience seeking arrangements online? Now is your chance to speak up about using these platforms or maybe just on arrangement culture in general. Share your experience of arrangement culture or platforms on Twitter using the hashtag sugarstories. If you'd like to share your experience of using arrangement websites or experiencing arrangement culture, feel free to email the show at contact at the escortdeconstructed.love. If you want to share your story on the podcast, I would be happy to dedicate more episodes to purely airing testimonials to get your story heard by the community so that we can all learn more about what the actual normative experience is. Thanks for listening, everybody. I hope you enjoyed it and learned something. I can't wait to hear what I'm going to learn from all of you.
Oh, that ASMR was good. <laughs> I'll add it to some, I'll add it to woop, woop. bloopers at the end. We're still fun people, folks. Just because we're talking about advocating for our rights doesn't mean we're not fun people. <laughs> we are definitely fun people. And you guys, we spent like a shit ton of time writing this. Well, I wrote 28 pages. I was going to give up on it. Natalie over here helped me edit it and added a bunch of legalese, and I'm so happy. But yeah, we're... We're reading off with some wine because goddamn, we did a lot of work for free. <laughs> Sienna is a fucking superstar and she deserves all of the credit for this. Just saying. Duh. For example, some escorts offer bareback, bare, some, I know, <laughs> fucking have, ha- bareback blowjobs. Bear blow bareback blowjobs, yeah. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> with the boom of the internet, the independent escort, mostly white and middle class, began to emerge with new and far-reaching opportunities. Slowly yet surely, the move towards being an independent sex worker... Where no whore has gone before. <laughs> I know, right? Okay. That's because our food's ready. I'm just going to go take okay. it out. I'll be right back. I'll wait till you're done pouring because you said you can hear it. Yeah. <laughs> sex worker rights. Guzzle, guzzle, guzzle. Absolutely. I might take that last bit out, but like, that's the whole thing of like, like so many people pick 18 to 25 as an age bracket yeah. when they're like 55 I know. and I don't want to stigmatize older people, but like so many people put 18 to 25. Yeah, but it's, they get off on the power dynamic, right? They get off on her not knowing how to say no. Yes, of course. Ugh. I guess I'm spit in my mouth. <laughs> yeah. Peace, fuckers. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Anything else to add? No. I feel like I'm mentally exhausted. I'm hungry. Yes, I'm hungry too. Okay, Okay, we're going to go eat. Bye-bye.